In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about good decision-making. Aliens, owl monsters, and a bloated fish-eaten swamp hag. The perfect recipe for fake blood. And vehicular manslaughter. In our discussion of You're Not Supposed to Die Tonight by Kaylin Bayron. <laughs> vehicular manslaughter almost got me. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult and sometimes other books, series, authors, voice actors, and illustrators that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. And today we're going to discuss You're Not Supposed to Die Tonight by Kaylin Bearon. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. <laughs> Dancing in my head, excuse me. It's fine. I keep saying voice assers in my head. It's fine. It's like voice actors who are also assassins. What you don't realise is they say a special code word in an audiobook which will kill. Yes. But only the intended target. That's amazing. We need to put that in our books that we write folder. Yes. Okay, let's put that in our list. Done. Cool. (laughs) Nemo, 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 Rumo's coming up, so, you know. That's true. It is. It is coming up next month. NaNoWriMo. But you know what this month is? This month is the beginning of the sixth season of Fictional Hangover. Is that what you were talking about? Is that what you were talking about? Yeah. How crazy is that? It's bonkers. I can't make my mind wrap around it. Time has no concept. No. Five full years of fictional hangover have gone by half a decade gross don't say it like that (laughs) that makes it worse fictional hangover is old enough to go to school it is fictional hangovers in kindergarten it is it's gonna get square pizza ice cream scoop mashed potatoes yes aww then that makes it sound like a baby again very it's our baby child it is it is our baby i'm glad that we have a baby together <laughs> anywho do you have any background information <laughs> <laughs> yes i do i read an article on united by pop and they ask, can you tell us a little about the inspiration behind the story of You're Not Supposed to Die Tonight? And Kaylin's response is Friday the 13th, Sleepaway Camp, and the Fear Street series were the main influences. But I'm also intrigued by a place called McKamey Manor, which is an interactive haunted house attraction where a survival style game is played. I've heard about this, and so I decided to look it up. Because it's exactly... Yes, I've seen it. Yeah. And I, they have, like, a Netflix something, uh-huh. but it's insane. You have to it have completed a sports physical and have a doctor's letter stating that you are physically and mentally cleared to attend. Yeah. It's absolutely messed up. 
And I would not go there. No it's way. not that's not my bag. No. The waiver is forty pages long. Yeah. You better read that shit as well. Yeah. It's insane. And you have to pass a background check. Yeah. It's yeah. bonkers. No thank you. No thank you to that. <sighs> that no. Yeah. No. I, I think I saw it on a, a documentary or something because there were some massive, like, questions over the ethos, ethical nature of it. Oh, yeah. Even though they've got all, like, the waivers and the legalities and the health checks and stuff. But it was cla- still kind of classified as, like, torture. Yeah. <laughs> Legal torture is legal torture torture with permission consensual torture that's the word consensual consensual torture torture. jeez yeah i'm not into that no i have no desire to go to this place and they're like i think there's one in tennessee and one in alabama which are relatively close to me in the grand scheme of things but not doesn't mean you need to go nah dog i don't want to go to that no, thank you. How long do you have to survive on it? I can't remember. Is eight. it a full night or 24 hours? Uh, no, just eight. Just eight hours. No, thanks. Nah. nah. I am a traditionalist. I like a nice haunted house. Or, like, a non-contact horror experience. Yeah, don't don't touch me, stranger. I don't like that. No, I remember going through Madame Two Swords uh, when they had a horror thing and absolutely killing myself laughing same as my husband we were walking through laughing at everybody ahead of us screaming their heads off and nearly dying because of all the actors jumping out and screaming in people's faces but they were a good couple of inches away and in your head you know they cannot touch you you have not signed any waiver they are not allowed physical contact there's a sign as you go in say do not touch the actors yeah and it's like so I, 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 we would, we were killing ourselves laughing, and everybody else screaming their heads off. Ugh. Really good. <laughs> no, thank you. Do you have any initial thoughts? Um, I was really looking forward to this one, and I thought, like, I mean, I've got the lovely sprayed edge version as well. You do. Mm. It's beautiful. It is. It is. And um. I don't you know. I, just, I like Caelan Baron. I think she's a very good author. And when I heard the concept of this, I was like, yeah, that sounds really fun. Yeah. I'm shocked at how short it is, though. Yeah, it's very short. But I think that is something that like adds to the appeal of it. Yes. Yes. It's almost like it happens, you know, overnight. It's just one. It's just like one and done. So I like that. But it's it's kind of different. From what she normally writes, because pretty much everything else that she has is, like, fantasy. Yeah, she does have... um, Sci-fi-ish. A middle grade book out. I think it might be more along... I say more along these lines, but less fantasy, more... Spooky? Spookier? Realism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't remember for life if we remember what it's called. Um... Yeah, I think she's 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 a very talented author, and I was very enjoy very much looking forward to reading this. So yeah, I'm glad definitely that we've got it. I know. In- nope. 
It's full of nope situations. It, it even references nope situations. It it's perfect for our book club theme, this one. Yes. Our book club theme of nope. It's literally what it's nope. called. Nope. Nope. Can you tell what movie we saw when we were talking about book club themes? <laughs> nope. 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 Oh, that's such a good movie. <laughs> anyway, are you ready to start? Uh, yes. A man is smeared with blood and is getting closer and closer, a machete in his hand. The boathouse is so close, and the others are running around screaming in terror, calling for help. The killer grabs one of the girls who lets out a blood-curdling scream, and he pulls her into the boathouse. One of the boys runs off. Another freezes until he is pulled toward the gate by a second girl. The killer with the machete is coming for them. The girl pulls a knife and stabs the killer. She turns and smiles. As the floodlights come on, Charity congratulates the frozen boy by the gate. He survived a night at Camp Mirror Lake and earned a commemorative t-shirt. Yay! Yay! <laughs> the girl dragged into the boathouse isn't pleased and breaks up with her boyfriend on the spot for leaving her to die. Well, she may not have enjoyed the night, but for Charity, it was easily one of the top three nights of the season. This is Charity's third season at Camp Mirror Lake, and at last she's been promoted to the coveted position of Final Girl. Camp Mirror Lake is a full-contact terror simulation experience based on the 1983 cult classic The Curse of Camp Mirror Lake, a really cheesy horror movie chronicling the rampage of an inhuman serial killer. The big final night is only three nights away, and Charity can't wait. Although, that means summer is ending, and soon she'll have to go back home with her neglectful mother and her asshole boyfriend, Rob. For now, though, it's time to get the latest batch of guests off the property, wash the fake blood off, and get to bed. Charity heads to the communal showers, and everything is quiet. Almost too quiet. Yeah, it's freaking creepy. When Charity's flashlight starts acting up, she knows to nope her ass out of there and clean up in the morning. Nope. Well done, Charity. Nope. Good, good reaction. Nope. However, the creepiness continues when she's in bed. Something wakes Charity up and then she hears a splash coming from the lake. Getting up and taking a look from her cabin window, she hears another splash. Nobody is meant to be out on the lake. All the boats and stuff are props. Strangely, everything on the creepy lake is still. It's nearly time to get up anyway, so Charity finally heads to the showers for doing a walkthrough of the camp. Porter and Javier are arguing about checking the perimeter fencing, and despite Charity only being 17, Mr. Lamont, the owner, has put her in charge. So she needs to de-escalate the situation. In other words, she's got to tell Javier to stop flirting with Tasha and do his job. In the main office, the camp serial killer, Kyle, is checking in the latest guests. The spokesgirl, Kennedy, K-E-N-N-E-D-Y, is being a particular bitch. So Charity singles her out to die in the woodshed. 
After the guests head to their cabin, Charity finds out that not only are Jordan and Heather, two other staff members, missing in action, but another, Felix, is also now a no-show. It's always difficult to keep staff, but this season has been particularly bad. Porter, Tasha, and Javier will just have to pull up double duties along with Charity. Charity does try to message them on the group chat, but cell service is the worst, and the message is left unsent. Despite double duties, the night is going really well. As Charity is waiting with a bucket of fake blood and raw chicken, she sees someone on the lake. Charity calls out, but there's no response. Over the headsets they all wear, Charity asks for a guest headcount, but everyone is accounted for. After she's chucked the bucket of blood and chicken bits, Charity checks the lake and throws a life preserver where she thought she saw a body. But there's no one there. Hmm. Weird. The next day, Charity gives Porter, Tasha, and Javier the bad news that they all need to stay back to help close the camp after the last night since so many of the others have dropped out. And despite protests, they all agree. With a rare moment of cell service, Charity is able to fire off texts to her friends, Paige and Bezzy, begging them to come up and help out. Paige freaking loves horror movies and eagerly agrees, and Bezzy loves Charity, so of course she's going to help. Charity also uses the camp's sole landline to call Mr. Lamont and let him know of the staff shortages. It's not long before Paige and Bezzy arrive. Paige, with her camera in hand, is ready to write an expose on the camp for her college applications and is so excited to get covered in fake blood and be an over-the-top scream queen. Charity assigns rules and duties for the night and then picks out the final guy from the latest batch of guests, the only one who isn't being an asshole. Despite being short-staffed, the night is going well. Charity sees Kyle off in the distance and he's slightly off cue, but it's workable. Then another figure steps out beyond the gate, and they're carrying a shotgun. <laughs> who, who is this? Charity, understandably, starts panicking. It's an old woman, and with shotgun in hand, she starts ranting and raving about how it's all fun and games, and you should be ashamed if you knew. It's then that Charity notices the gate hasn't been locked, and she shouts to everyone to get into the office cabin where the landline is. The old woman follows them and stands outside, shouting, Little pig, little pig, let me come in. They manage to call the sheriff, and for terrifying minutes, they wait for him to come. When he finally does arrive, instead of arresting the old woman, Sheriff Lillard addresses Miss Keene by name and helps her into his car. The sheriff then gaslights Charity before taking Miss Keene out for breakfast. Understandably, the guests leave, pissed that their night was ruined, and then everyone heads to bed. As Charity and Bessie start kissing, Paige knocks on the cabin door. She's been kicked out by Tasha so she and Javier can get it on. Ugh. So apparently Charity and Bessie aren't allowed now. Nope. Anywho, trying to make the situation better, she says it'll be just like the sleepovers they had as kids and they cram on the too small bed. During the night, Charity hears more noises coming from the lake than a splash. Again, Charity tries to see what's going on from her cabin window and can see something or someone on the far side. Then there is another loud splash. This time, Bessie and Paige hear it. 
it's the middle of the night and a very bad idea to investigate and it can definitely wait until the bright light of day. So that's what they decide to do. However, Charity can't sleep. I am so proud of them for not going out and investigating in the middle of the night. Yes, there is some some actual common sense being applied. Yes, yes, good decision-making. It is. It's delightful. It is. The next morning, Charity, Bessie, and Paige go to investigate the lake and find drag marks, some beat-up plastic, and rusty chains. It's very strange. Their investigation is interrupted by the call into breakfast at the lodge. While they eat, Charity tells Kyle and Porter what she heard, and Porter admits he heard the same thing a few weeks ago, too. Adding to the weirdness, there's a dead bird on the lodge skylight. Ugh, they're gonna have to get rid of it. Charity climbs up and sees that it's an owl that looks uncomfortably familiar. Amongst his many jobs, asshole Rob worked as a taxidermist and would bring home the birds, mostly owls, and store them in Charity's bedroom. Charity wants to throw it away, but Bessie wants to bury it. As they're finishing up breakfast, which Tasha and Javier have gracefully joined them for, Charity gets a call on her cell. The signal is bad and all she can make out is office phone. So she heads over to the office and finds the landline ringing. It's Mr Lamont. Sheriff Lillard called him about Ms Keane and so he's ordering Charity to shut down the camp immediately and refund the guests. Dang. Disappointed and angry, Charity calls the guests before telling the others about Mr Lamont's orders. And then together they make plans to shut down the camp. After clearing and tidying the non-essential stuff, they realize Felix, Jordan, and Heather's cabin will also need cleaning. Heading over, Charity and Bezzy find a disgusting, stinking mess with spoiled and moldy food, dirty clothes, and even their cell phones that don't even have any power. How much of a rush were they in to leave? This is where you note that something is wrong. It's weird. When they're done cleaning, they head back to the others, grab some food, and settle in for scary stories. Nice. Paige tells them how in her research, which she did in the library, she found out that there was a real summer camp at Mirror Lake, and that she even found pictures in the library. She did it on the microfiche. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's really amazing. (laughs) Porter looks uncomfortable and tells them he found some things behind the supply shed when he first started, but he thought it was only a prop from the movie. This does not sit right with Charity. Javier says they could ask his grandma if she knows what happened. Javier actually has a bar on his cell, so he makes the call. His grandma, who never wanted Javier to work there in the first place, confirms very reluctantly that there was a camp there in 1971 and tells them six kids were killed back then and the killer was never found. Oh, shit. Nope. 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 She sounds ridiculously scared. She's terrified. And she's also angry and she wants Javier to leave right now. She's willing to drive up to get him despite not having either a license or a car. But unfortunately... The call drops. How could they not know that a mass murder took place at the camp? <laughs> could Javier's grandma know Miss Keene? P- 
Paige says she wants to go and talk to Ms. Keene because she obviously knows something, and she drags Porter and Tasha along with her. Bessie admits to Charity that when Ms. Keene was terrorizing them, she hid in the storage closet in the control room Charity told her was filled with expensive equipment. Charity is concerned that something got broken, but nah. The control room is actually filled with old files and paperwork. Charity and Bessie go to dig through, hoping they might find out more information. Charity finds papers from 1976-1978, old camp counselor t-shirts, newspaper clippings, and land deeds. Why did Mr. Lamont hide this stuff? So much weirdness. As they leave, Charity notices one of the cameras is out, the one which monitors the trapdoor under the boathouse. As Bessie comforts Charity over the horrible end of the season, the broken camera blinks back on, and Charity sees a figure cloaked in black just under the trapdoor. Nope. 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 The camera comes back on again, and the figure is gone. But they need to take a look. As Charity and Bessie walk along, they notice a hole in the ground where Bessie buried the dead owl. It's been dug up and placed on the steps of the lodge. And it's intact, other, you know, than its eyes, which have been plucked out. Bessie screams, which bring Javier and Kyle running. This doesn't make sense. Could an animal have done this? Or a person? Charity explains what she and Bessie found in the control room closet and asks if either of them were by the boathouse hatch. Nope. Damn. Nope. Together, they investigate the boathouse. I like the fact they're going in groups. Yes. So smart. It is. Kyle, as the serial killer, is the one who uses it the most often to get around and discovered by guests. It's hella creepy. But there are no signs of anyone being down there. Suddenly, they hear the creak of floorboards. Nope. Someone is walking above them. Nope. Nope. Javier... Noping out of the situation towards the lodge, with the rest following. Once they're outside, they block the hatch shut before arguing about who it could have been. Charity decides that they need to regroup and find Paige, Tasha, and Porter. Before they leave, Tasha manages to call Charity's cell and sounds absolutely panicked and terrified. They head out toward Miss Keene's house. It's spooky, and the feeling of being watched stays with them the whole time. Eventually, they reach Miss Keene's. Her driveway is littered with no trespassing signs, and the house looks neglected. Charity spots something on the ground. One of Tasha's hair ties. So they know she's been there. Charity knocks on the door, and Miss Keene answers with her shotgun pointed at them. Nope. She orders them inside. Nope. Nope. And cautiously, Charity, Bessie, and Javier proceed. But Kyle has disappeared. Ms. Keene's house is littered with trash and smells like cat pee. But she offers them lemonade because she may be cantankerous, but she's also polite. Uh, mm-hmm. No thanks. Nope. It's fine. Thank you. Nope. As Ms. Keene tells them about the area, Charity sees Kyle outside gesturing wildly. Ms. Keene is rambling about they, people coming to power, an owl as big as a man in the area, and the land giving power. She's being 
very weird <laughs> making absolutely no sense quite frankly in the end Ms. Keene tells Charity oh honey you're going to die out here well shit <laughs> As Ms. Keene starts to get manic, Charity grabs a lamp, hits her over the head, and they nope out of the house. The sound of the shotgun going off behind them as they run toward Kyle at the end of the drive and cheese it all the way back to the camp where they find the lodge doors wide open. Standing in front of the fire is a barefoot figure, shirtless, caked in something, and holding their stomach. It's Tasha. Tasha is covered in mud and also blood. Her face is swollen and her belly is slashed open. Her insides on the outside. Nope. Tasha gasps, it's out there, the owl, before passing out. Bessie miraculously has a bar on her cell, and she calls 911, but the call drops before she knows if help will come or not. Javier decides to go to the landline to call an ambulance and police. Just then, Tasha comes to for a moment and is able to tell them that Paige and Porter are still out there. They saw owls in the trees, on the trees, and ran. The owl is killing them. Charity needs to do something, and despite everyone begging, she says... She needs to take a look in the forest. Nope. Do you know what I would need to do right now? Nope. Get into Paige's car and get the hell out of there. Seriously. The shadows are spooky and disturbing, but Charity and Bessie can spot small owls carved into the trees and guess there must be like mile markers or something. Further in, they find a clearing illuminated by a large torch that looks like a large outdoor amphitheatre. Waiting for a few moments in case anyone is there, Charity ventures into it. At the centre is a giant carved owl and the platform area is covered in fresh blood. Nope. Nope. Off to one side is a path and they follow it. Nope. Why are you doing this? It leads to a large lodge. On the porch is one of Porter's shoes. Cautiously, they go inside. Nope. 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 Why are they not noping? (laughs) The lodge is filled with giant portraits of pompous men, taxidermied owls, and old musty books. Bessie finds a large black and white photo from 1840 with a plaque saying, The Owl Society. They also find pictures of grand owls, the last dated 1973. Suddenly, they hear a shriek coming from outside. As they silently start to leave, in a pile of leaves and sticks on a kitchen table, they spot Paige's camera. Charity looks through the pictures and finds photos of Felix bound in front of the giant owl in the amphitheater. Another picture shows him on the ground, covered in blood. Charity realizes that Heather and Jordan also suddenly disappeared and starts linking things together. They need to find Porter and Paige now. Quietly, they make their way down the hall and find a narrow doorway near the rear fitted with a series of open deadbolts. Cautiously, they make their way through and down a narrow staircase and along another hallway with a single door at the end. 
Beyond, Charity and Bessie can hear chanting and carefully look inside where they find a cavern-like room and shadowy figures moving inside. A gruff voice shouts, Come forth! And a hooded figure steps forward and raises their arms toward the wooden structure at the end of the room. The gruff voice says, Claim your power. Know that it will be yours. Accept no other outcome. We will recover what once was ours through the blood, through the ritual, through the water. Suddenly, a figure steps into view. It's an owl the size of a very tall person. Its feathers are luminescent, mottled white and brown. As the owl men declares they have suffered enough losses and it's time for them to reclaim their power, Charity and Bessie see Porter's bloody and broken body pinned to the wooden structure. Charity can't hold back the scream anymore. Charity can feel something rip in her throat as the scream pours out of her. Then, Bessie pulls her back and out of the lodge, the owl and his followers chasing them. They run faster than they have ever run in their entire lives and manage to hide just before the Owlman and his followers approach. The Owlman is pissed and berates the others. He won't be placated by the gruff woman with them. The Owl Society leaves, and Charity and Bessie give it a few more moments before dashing to the camp. When Charity and Bessie get to the lodge, they find Kyle by himself. He tells them an ambulance took Tasha away, and Javier went with her, and that the sheriff came, but didn't believe him, claiming they were just pulling a prank. Sheriff Lillard is an asshole. They decide the best course of action is to call Mr. Lawant. He's the only adult who might help. Brandishing homemade weapons, they leave the lodge and go to the office cabin and the landline. The call, however, doesn't go through because the line has been cut. That can only mean that our society are here. No. They gather the headsets they use during the horror recreations, so at least they can communicate with each other. Kyle will go to the control room and relay the owl's whereabouts to Charity and Bessie, who will stay hidden but try to listen to conversations on where Paige might be. Suddenly, the lights go out. Electricity has been turned off. God damn it. That puts a crimp in their plan. So Kyle pulls out a serial killer costume mask, puts it on, and ventures outside to try and get the power back on. Charity and Bessie stay put. When Charity checks in on Kyle, the static is heavy on the radio, but he's able to tell them that he saw something large and white at the dock. Then they hear something large and heavy on the roof of the lodge. It's the owl, and they need to hide. Charity and Bessie make it to the hatch in the kitchen and take the tunnel to the boathouse just in time as they hear breaking glass behind them. Sensibly, Charity grabs an oar as a weapon, which is lucky as the argumentative gruff woman from earlier is outside, so Charity slams the oar against her head and ties the woman's head and feet. Charity radios Kyle, who was shaken as he had to take someone out too with his switchblade. He lets them know there are others turning the cabins over. Charity and Bessie decide to go to the staff cabins and it's creepy as fuck. There are two men inside the cabin and Charity and Bessie listen in from a hiding spot. They're talking about the Grand Owl possibly losing his way. How they need the power from the land so it's imperative they find the other kids. And that they can't repeat the mistakes of the past. Unfortunately, Charity knocks the wood siding and the sound alerts the weirdos inside. They make a run for it and are closely followed by the two men. 
Kyle sets off the sound effects of blood-curdling screams, which stop the owl guys in their tracks, buying Charity and Bezzy enough time to run into the communal showers. They're able to wedge the door, but it's not very secure against two men beating down. Charity empties half a can of bear spray into oh. their faces, which certainly causes them to reassess their life choices, but only for a moment. Charity and Bessie use this opportunity to get into the trapdoor at the last shower stall, which leads to the arts and crafts cabin. Before Charity get down, though, one of the owl guys grabs her and bashes her head. Nope. Bessie, from the hatch, slashes the guy's Achilles heel, making him let go of Charity. Well done, Bessie. They run for it, but the owl guys still chase them, pulling Ch- Charity. As Charity fights off one of the owl guys, she's able to gesture to an archery set. Bezzy passes her an arrow, which Charity stabs back behind her and through the owl guy's face. Yes. They're able to get through the hatch and barricade it. Over the radio, Kyle asks if they're okay. Yeah, very much no. Nope. No. Nope. No. They need to regroup and plan to meet up in the office. On the path ahead of them is a figure, though, dressed in the owl costume. Damn it. Charity and Bessie, just, they can't catch a break. Nope. <laughs> the Grand Owl speaks and points toward the lake. He tells them they've been feeding the land and the lake, and they should be honored to be part of their ritual. Nope. They were chosen. Nah. It turns out, asshole Rob set Charity up. He was the one who handed her the job application and kept insisting she apply. He couldn't wait to get her out of the house because he thought, with her sacrifice, he would be granted a place in the society. The Grand Owl tells Charity it's a special thing to sacrifice your own family. But, you know, asshole Rob's just... Not of their lofty caliber. Ow. That stings. Burn. The Grand Owl springs forward and reaches for Bessie, but Charity intercepts and is thrown onto the office cabin wall. In agony, Charity watches as the Grand Owl goes for Bessie again. Somehow, Charity manages to get up and hits him with a stick from the ground. Suddenly, there is a whistle. A man shouts for Charity to move, and the newcomer shoots the Grand Owl through the chest. It's Mr. Lamont. (gasps) Charity begs Mr. Lamont to call the police. He already has. They just need to hang tight. Charity tells him what happened and asks to use his phone to call Bessie's mom. Mr. Lamont doesn't have a cell phone. This is when Charity realizes something is very, very wrong. If Mr. Lamont doesn't have a cell phone and the landline has been cut, how did he call the police? And how did he know something was wrong? All the concern in Mr. Lamont is gone. Only anger and malice is now on show. He reassures Charity that it will all be over soon. Nope. Nope. Mr. Lamont pulls his revolver out and takes Charity and Bessie for a little walk. As they head past the dead Grand Owl, Mr. Lamont rips the owl mask off him and pockets it. In the distance, is a splash at the lake. Kyle comes running toward them and Mr. Lamont orders him to fall in line. Oh, Together, they go into the lodge. 
Charity sees Tasha and Javier's bodies lying under the couch. And more things start to fall into place. Nope. 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 Mr. Lamont tells them he is not with the others in the society. Because they were too stuck up to let him in. But he knows their ritual, how they've used this land for generations. Mr. Lamont sounds very angry with the Owl Society. He's jealous of them holding onto the power and dissolving in the 60s before they could share their power with his family. Mr. Lamont's father set up the camp to gather victims for the ritual. He was happy with the cash they paid him, but Mr. Lamont wants more. He wants the power the owls have. He tried spilling blood on the land and feeding the bodies to the lake in the 70s, but it didn't work. Damn. When the Hollywood people came, they knew nothing about the 1971 murders, and they lapped up Mr. Lamont's ideas that the killer would gain power with each kill. Wow. Just then, Ms. Keene comes in and nuzzles into Mr. Lamont. Nope. She's his goddamn wife. Damn it. Ms. Keene then walks up to Kyle and slaps him, calling him a pathetic and worthless, berating him for failing at the simple tasks she gave him and trying to scare everyone off instead. He's betrayed his own family. Ms. Keene turns to Charity and informs her Kyle is their worthless grandson. Son of a bitch. Yes, I think so. And grandson of a bitch, too. <laughs> Kyle ties Charity and Bessie's hands, and Miss Keene pushes them outside toward the boathouse. The woman Charity bashed with the oar stumbles out, calls Mr. Lamont a bastard, and he shoots her. Wah, wah. <laughs> Miss Keene continues to push Charity and Bessie toward the lake. It seems that Mr. Lamont and Miss Keene have been watching them and picking off the Owl Society. Meanwhile, Kyle has fetched Tasha's lifeless body and dumps it on the ground before fetching Javier's body. Mr. Lamont feeds Tasha and Javier to Mirror Lake while he chants something. It didn't work, and Miss Keene berates Mr. Lamont for doing it wrong. Now he thinks the chant needs to be done while making the sacrifice. Oh, no. Mr. Lamont puts on the owl mask he took from the dead grand owl, and while Ms. Keene holds Bessie down, he draws a knife and slashes at Bessie's abdomen. Nope. Before they can feed Bessie to the lake, there are two loud pops, and blood blooms on Mr. Lamont's chest before he falls into the water. As Ms. Keene screams, No! She is shot and falls into the lake next to Mr. Lamont. Kyle, gun in hand, moves towards Charity. Charity cries, clinging on to Kyle and begs him to help Bessie. However, she can also hear Kyle mumbling something. When she pulls back, Charity feels something stick to her cheek. Bloody owl feathers. Looking up, Charity sees Kyle wearing the owl mask. He then draws Ms. Keene's machete across her stomach and Charity falls with a splash into the icy water of the lake, disappearing under its surface as her heartbeat flutters and stops. My God, that was so amazing. Damn. Damn. So good. Damn. I wish it would have ended there. 
However, however, all good horror movies have. <laughs> One year later, Bessie is sitting on the south shore of Mirror Lake. After the murders last year, the camp was razed and the forest is slowly reclaiming the land. Bodies are still being pulled from the lake, but Charity is still down there. Bezzy should have died on Mirror Lake. Her abdomen was ripped open, and even now, after six surgeries, she still doesn't feel right. It turns out her 911 call when they found Tasha did go through, but it was hours until help came because they thought it was a prank call. Bezzy is now the final girl a title she took from her beloved charity. Bessie thinks of Paige and her love of the rules of horror movies and how she always said that there was one final scene. A few days before, Bessie found a hand-delivered letter that read, I'm sorry, Bessie. I don't know if you believe me or if you even care, but I have to say it. I should never have helped them. I didn't have a choice. I got what I wanted. I'm free from them. But I think about what I had to do to have this. I'm sorry. But I have something I can share with you. If you want, meet me at the place where it happened on the day it happened. If you're not there, I assume you never will be. It was from Kyle. Now, Bessie is waiting for him one year to the day. Bessie can hear Kyle approach through the tree line. He looks taller, but also gaunt. Kyle hands a piece of paper to Bessie. It's the incantation his grandfather used. He thinks it will make amends as she can have whatever she wants now. Kyle tells her, what is one more body to get whatever she wants? Bessie agrees. She pulls a knife from her pocket and stabs it under Kyle's ribs and chants the incantation aloud, the words burned into her mind from the night one year ago. Kyle stumbles toward the lake and Bessie kicks him back into the water. Bessie sits back down, closes her eyes, and concentrates on what she desperately wants the most. She hears a splash, then another, followed by the sound of someone coming out of the lake onto the dock. Charity. Ah! <laughs> nope. 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 If one of the rules of my house are... One of the many rules in my house are don't bring back people from the dead. Also, don't kill your parents. Also, don't kill your parents and don't eat people. Yes. And no socks in bed. Ugh. Gross. Gross. Okay, everyone think about your household rules for a minute while we share this promo from another show. I do like the fact they are genuine house rules as well. <laughs> oh. Hi, I'm Bethany Finger, the host of Prince Kai Thampod, a Marissa Meyer book club podcast. Join me every week during my read-along journey through all of the books by author Marissa Meyer, one chapter at a time, spoiler-free. Each episode will feature a different guest, new fan art, and laughter and joy through reading. You can find Prince Kai Thampod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other listening platforms. And now, back to the show. Oh. I've noticed a lot of um, YA horror books lately seem to very much be dominated by the rules of horror. Yes. It seems to be like 
a thing at the moment. Yes. But I do quite enjoy it because they take different twists and turns with it. It's not it's not boring because they, t- they, they don't just look at it in one way. They very much make it their own and I am very much enjoying that. Yes. Yeah, I also... I I love, but I also don't love at the same time that a lot of the stuff that we've been reading lately is based on 90s horror movies, which seems like these books, these YA books, are being written for an adult audience, which is fine because it doesn't matter who reads the books. But I feel like we need to just push that forward a little bit into the new adult age range. Do you think that's because the people who are writing these books are people our age who grew up on 90s horror movies? Yeah, I'm sure it is. Or or is it the fact that 90s horror is one of the best I mean, that is of horror movies. also true. But 70s horror is also very good, which yes. this had this... some 70s horror in it as well. Yes. There are lots of references to Friday the 13th, to Jamie yes. Lee Curtis being that ultimate final girl. Yes. So it's not just Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer and right. Fear Street. It, they are... It's a good homage to a to a lot of different horror movies. Yes, yes, definitely. It's so good. I love the, I love the camp, setting. I think it's fantastic, and that's not just because I'm slowly trying to turn my house into Camp Crystal Lake, but it kind of is. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. Yes. Do you know what I like best? What? The lead character died at the end. I know. That was amazing. I loved it so much. But like I said in the summary, I wish it had ended there. I wish it had just been over. And then, since it wasn't, I wish that the very last line, which is charity, I wish it had been a question instead of a statement a statement or if it hadn't even said charity at all because it talks about something hearing splashing something coming out of the lake and i think it would have been perfect if it had ended there or at least like i said with the question mark because then you don't know if it's a happy ending or a terrifying ending well you still don't know even though you know it's charity because yeah. I mean, I'd love it. I'd love for it to be. I would love for a horribly vicious sequel where Charity has come back, but she's a murderous. She's a murderous sea hag now. Sea hag, zombie creature yes. thing. I mean, she's 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 got to be bloated at the very least. She's been oh, underwater yeah. for a year. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's gonna. And she's the gonna wound's be gonna be disgusting. She, if there's, I mean, if there are fish in that lake, she's been. Heckin' nibbled on. Yeah. But, yeah, I agree. A, a question mark would have been good rather than a statement or just no use of charity because then that splash is a charity. You can... you Because you know how much we like an open ending. Oh, it we could do. be charity or it could be Kyle. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. Um, it, 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 it didn't spoil the story having that 
at the end. Yeah. Um, but it would have been an interesting, different take. I agree. Yeah, with that. it didn't. It didn't spoil it, but it made it seem like a happier ending than it needed to be. Which is still could be open, and she still could be a bloated sea hag. But I don't know. It was. I just feel like it was perfect. And then we just tacked on that extra bit. Yeah, I uh, I would have liked a question mark. Yeah. I still love it, though. Don't get me wrong. Just because I wish the ending had been slightly different. Still love the book. Oh, it Beginning was really to end. fun. It was really fun. It's a very quick read. Like, the, my copy of the book's only 228 pages long. Yeah. It's verging on a short story, really. Or novella. Yeah. Um, I think the audiobook's about six hours. Right, but the way we listen to it, it's like two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> can I confess something? Yes. You can. I didn't enjoy the audiobook that I much. did not either. I didn't I didn't care for it at all. I had to speed it up more than I normally do because there were so many awkward pauses and edits. Oh my god, it was the edits that got me. That you could hear. Oh, at points, it, it honestly felt like somebody had called the narrator and said, can you just say these three words again? And she's done it over a te- over a cell phone, over a call. And In the bathroom. It. Yeah. So it, the, there's a clear, like a switch has been turned on. And it happens, it's not frequently, but it happens enough for me to be able to go, oh no. Once or twice, I'm okay. You know, I get yeah. that kind of mistake yeah. goes through, but it happened more often than I. Um, I, I want to say accept, I find acceptable, and I'm going to stick by that. Actually, yeah, I think you know if you're going to produce a quality product, especially at the price that audiobooks can cost, if you don't have like a subscription mm-hmm. or um, a library access to them, like they are an expensive medium that I think you need to put the quality in there. Yes. And it it really, it was a little bit disappointing. So the editing really was not great. Yeah. Yeah, that really, that really bothered me. And it just made me want to go, you know, I can do my pickups better than that. Why am I not being paid big bucks to record audiobooks? Because my pickups are better than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did you think? I've got a question for you. Okay. What did you think about the whole owl society slash magic aspect to it? I didn't hate it, but I wish that instead of being humans, it was actually like owl people. There's an episode of Scooby-Doo oh my that God. <laughs> was so scary and there were giant owl monsters and this is just what it made me think of the whole time but i wish that they had been actual owl monsters and not you know just a crazy cult of people because they've got magic like why can't it just be one step further magic and it's giant human-sized owls that would have been better for me because there's never been a giant human-sized owl present in the united states congressman or something well do you know 
It could have been aliens because <laughs> aliens often, you know, when they abduct you, they replace your memories with owl monsters. It's a thing. I would have been fine aliens with that Aliens and too. owls monsters. Mm-hmm. Aliens and owl monsters. That's what we're going with. Yes. Okay. I didn't mind it being like uh, Masonic slash Goodfellows style secret society that are a bit more bloodthirsty than those two have ever been, to my knowledge. Yeah. Um, but I don't know for how much I wanted the magic to be like quote unquote real. I'm assu- I am assuming. It is purely because of the last bit. Yes. Um, However, if it had ended with a question mark, you wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known. No, it could be. It could have been. <laughs> it could have been a policeman going, mark. "Excuse me, madam, can you please depart from this active crime scene?" Yeah. You know. As they're dragging Charity's actual body out of the lake. Sorry, ma'am. You could just step back. We have the corpse of your loved one here. Yeah. The bloated, yeah. fish-eaten corpse of your loved one. You have one. the bloated sea hag of your once lively beloved. Please move back behind the caution tape. Get behind the caution tape. <laughs> Alas. So you didn't. So you didn't love the owl magic. No, I don't know. Do you know what? I think I, I think I, I went. I came into this book with a certain expectation that, unlike Caelan Baron's um, other books that we've read, like Cinderella is dead and mm-hmm. um, this this was this this poison heart, this poison heart. Yes, mm-hmm. um, oh, so good. That's what we need to do. The sequel. We really do. Um, that it was going to be more in the real world. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the idea of the concept of it being a horror camp, horror wait, that does realistic experiences and the realistic experience gets a bit too real. I like that concept. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was enough. And then adding in the fact that it's the uh, society, uh, secret society, who are killing the kids for power... I was like, yeah, okay, I like that, I like that. And it kind of builds this up, and then it's like, well, obviously it's not going to work, because you're just murdering kids, you assholes. Stop it, stop stop murdering everybody. Because you're all, you know, cis white men who are middle class plus, who have swollen trust funds. Of course you're going to become congressmen, of course you're going to become presidents, because you've got the money to back it. You're all old white guys who have every advantage in this world of course you're going to get to these lofty heights that you don't deserve because you're assholes not because you're murdering kids and then it turns out actually yeah there might actually be some magic to this and i'm like oh that kind of like i don't know i'm not going to say disappointed but i was kind of a little bit oh okay so the magic is real and I think it's because I like the idea of being more grounded in 
reality. I feel like I'm dunking on this book a little bit as well, but I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's a fun, it's an afternoon read, you know, it's a good time. And I think especially as we're coming up with spooky season, especially, you know, it's it's horror movie see if there's one time of the year i mean every, every day of the year day is, is spooky horror season movie for day. me yeah every day is a reason to watch a horror movie but especially you know especially when you, cheesy horror movies yeah this is october is the perfect month for this book it is yes. absolutely perfect yes and i encourage our listeners to read this book because it's fun it's short it's quick and it'll get you that satisfaction and also contribute towards the book club challenge of Nope this month. Um, so there's a handy hint. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't, I feel like I'm dunking too much, but no, I did really enjoy this book. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was solid. Just one or two things made me go, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I would, like I said, change the ending, change the ending punctuation. And it would have been, you know, 10 out of 10 for me. But as it is right now, it's, you know, it's a healthy 8 out of 10. It's good. Yeah, I think I gave it a 4 out of 5 on Goodreads. Yeah. Because um, I did really enjoy it. Um, I I enjoyed the uh, good decision making. Yes. The noping out of situations. It's like, yes. my flashlight is acting up. The showers feel a bit cute, uh, creepy. I'm just gonna go to bed. Walk away. I hear splashing in the noise in the outside on the lake. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'll investigate in the morning. Yes. I, there was a lot of sensible decision making. There was a yes. lot of sensible noping out. Yes, and, and also I, the fact that them. they never went by themselves. Yes. They always went with a partner. They always went with someone else. Whatever they were looking for, whatever they were doing, they always took someone with them. Yes. Good idea. Checking that the cell phones have got bars. Yes. Always think, right, we need to get help. Yes. Very good. Enjoyed that. Yes. I wasn't surprised that Mr. Lamont was a killer. Same. And I am not surprised that Kyle was a killer too because one of them had to be yeah and so that was a good that was good i was not expecting him to be related to mr lamont because like why wasn't he in charge you know if he's related but because he's worthless because he doesn't do what he's told yeah um I was speaking of surprises and relations. I was surprised that Mrs. Ms. Keene was Mr. Lamont's wife. Yeah, that was also shocking. She seemed older to me than Mr. Lamont did. She seemed older, and Mr. Lamont sounded seemed younger to me. Yes, yeah. I, I honestly had this image of him until he actually showed up, of him being like this thirty, forty year old. You know, he's invested in this, but he has no intentions of actually doing any work for it. Right, yes. He's the, he's the money, not the management. Same. I thought the exact same thing. But then... And then it turns out that when he was 17 in 1971, he went on a murder spree. Yeah, and so you're like, whoa. it ages him up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then he's the grandfather of 
a 17, 18-year-old. And you just Who's go... groomed to be a killer. Whoa. Yeah. What about... What about Kyle's parents? Well. Murdered? Drawn in the lake? Yeah, I think so. Sea hags? I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Bloated up fish nibbles? Right next to the sea hag. <laughs> is she a sea hag or is she a lake hag? I mean, she's got to be a lake hag. Swamp hag? Swamp hag. Swamp hag. Swamp hag. We have it. Swamp it's bloated swamp hag. Yes. You've got to have your um, your henchmen, don't you? Yeah. So that, that's the next one. It's going to be all of the bodies coming out of the lake. Yes, and they're all just zombified, bloated, fish-bitten corpse monsters. Yes. How have they not got, How did they not get Charity out of the lake before now? Like, she had to come out of her own magical ability. Like, surely... You've been told bodies have been put in the lake. They would have dragged the lake, and her body, being pretty much on the top, would be one of the first ones dragged out. Well, maybe they started on the other side. That's not how you drag a lake. <laughs> because Claire, if her body Magic. was not in the lake, then the last scene wouldn't work. I'm going to blame. Aliens and owl monsters for that loophole. Aliens and owl monsters are the reasons why Charity's body was still in the lake. As yes. a nibbled up, bloated swamp hag. Yes. 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 <laughs> Is there anything else that we need to talk about? Favorite character? Do you oh. have one? Um, yeah, I guess Charity. I she made good decisions. She yeah. was a good leading character. I appreciate Very poor final girl. <laughs> Cause she wasn't. Yeah. I appreciated though that she was a like badass black girl who has a girlfriend. And a skin regime. Yes. And she, does she cares. Not neglect. No, she does not. Re- unless her flashlight isn't working and the shower seems creepy. But that's because she's sensible. Right. She is very sensible. Yeah, I. it's strange that I'm choosing the main character as my favorite character because we typically don't. But I am this time. I picked Charity. She's badass. Good for you. May no, she rest in fish nibbled, bloated swamp hag glory yes i agree i quite like Paige. i uh page would be me if i was to pick one um overly excited at being able to act in the horror event yes and be covered in blood and just be an over the top scream queen yes yeah. you yeah. know if you're gonna I, I don't mind being one of the murdered ones that's fine i would relish the role yeah i like um, that too. but i also like very happily digging into the research and the microfiche and finding out the history of the place and being like, ah, ta-da! Yes. I also, yes. back to Charity, appreciate that she was the one who was mixing up, like, the blood and getting <gasps> the ratios correct and, yes. like, I can just see her testing it out, like, flinging blood against I the wall. I honestly thought about you during those scenes when she's talking about making the blood. Mm. I was like, 
is about to make notes. No, because I already have my perfect blood mixture. Oh, well, there we go. But honestly, it did remind me of you and the conversations that we have had about fake blood. Yes. <laughs> Though I do appreciate that when she's talking about mixing colors, that she does include yellow and a little bit of green because that's what you need to get the perfect color of blood. Perfect. Tried and true. Love it. I love it. Also, adding cocoa powder sometimes makes it nice. Tastes better. If you're using blood in your mouth. Which I do. More often than you actually admit. Yes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Shall we move on? I think it's to probably move best. On to Would You Rather? It's probably for the best. Yeah, you're right. Pew, pew, pew. Pew, 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 pew. We asked, would you rather be a cast member or a visitor at a horror-themed attraction? On Facebook, 100% of you are being cast members. On Instagram, 78% are cast members. And on TikTok, 81% are cast members. So my hot take from this is, we are oversubscribed for staff, undersubscribed for visitors. Yes. Yeah. Bree on Facebook said, probably cast member. It would make me feel more safe. I've never been to one in real life, though. Constance on Facebook said, cast member for moi. I love being behind the scenes. Plus, it's less scary when you see it all coming together. Coral on Facebook said, cast member. I would rather be the one scaring than being scared. And who does love to know all the behind the scenes action? Drew on Facebook said, I think cast member, I don't think it will be that scary. Aww. Is she, was she referencing the scariness of our actual question? Which was me being a terrifying clown? Oh no, you were petrifying. <laughs> I don't think it'll be that scary. I really enjoyed our Would You Rather this week. I know, me like too. last week. I wish we could do that more often. It's fun to do every now and again as little something special. Yeah. And it was nice to kick off season six with it. I know. I agree. We should try to do it at least once a month. Vincent on Facebook said, cast member, I want to see if I can make someone poop their pants. (laughs) 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 Oh, Vincent, you broke Claire. Does that all the time. Colin on Facebook said, I'd love to be a cast member because it has the word member in it. And it's kind of rude. Also, I like scaring the cack out of people, as evidenced by the amount of times I've made Claire scream. Visitor is only fun once. Cast member can be fun every time. Mm. Can I just point out that, yes, Colin is my hubby. But ever since I had our child, I am so easy to jump up on. I'll just be doing the washing up. I will not hear him come out or come in. I turn around and suddenly he's there looming and I scream each time. <laughs> and it, honestly, I can mark it right back to nine years ago and something must have clicked in my brain due to, you know, growing a person. But yeah, I'm going to put, I keep threatening to put a cowbell around his neck. <laughs> I love him, but damn. Check. <laughs> Our last comment comes from Glim Glam Jen on Instagram. Picture this. I enter the scene, five foot two, covered in body glitter, wearing a blue homecoming dress, 
and a walking cast. At which point, Amanda reading this starts cackling. My hair is done to perfection, and my face wears a perfectly awkward, super uncomfortable expression. Everyone knows who I am until they spot the formula for nuclear bombs written on my cast. It is I, Bellaheimer. <laughs> P.S. I'm a visitor, obviously. (laughs) Just like, what? I'm so glad. So invested in that entire story, and then there was a twist at the end. It was perfection. Yeah, so good. So good. I'm so glad that she's Bella walking down the stairs in her cast. Bella Heimer, get it right. (laughs) Can I assume you were a cast member? Yeah, of course. Yeah, same. Although, having Mm. actually done this, it was not as fun as I had hoped it would be. Yeah, but you're going to have more contact in this one, aren't you? Yes, because you've signed a 33-page waiver. Yeah. And, you know, if you give yourself the final girl role, because I'm I'm happy to be an over-the-top screen queen murder victim, then, you know, you're essentially the boss. you got to dictate what the hell goes on. Yeah, yeah. You get buckets of blood and raw chicken. I would love to have that. It's fine. (laughs) Okay. Next question. Would you rather be the final girl or a serial killer? Oh, man. (laughs) I feel like if I say one, people are going to be like, that you want to be a serial killer. Excuse me? Squeeze me. What? Do we gonna, need to let the authorities know? You're going to get put on some sort of list. Yeah. I think I already am. I was about to say, to be honest, we're probably already on some sort of list. I mean, I want. I, I probably should say final girl, but I don't want to incriminate myself <laughs> Let's... Okay, how about this? You're in a movie or a book. Okay. So it's fiction. It's fiction. It's in this fiction. fictional world. Fictional hangover. In this fictional hangover, <laughs> I feel like the serial killer has to put less work in than the final girl. I've got a busted knee. I can't run around. Yeah, you can just like menacingly walk behind people. I'll set traps. Yeah. Bear traps. Yes. Also, that guy recovered from the bear mace to the face very quickly, and I don't agree with that. <laughs> Just mentioning bears. Yeah. I know. I probably should say final girl, but, you know, does, do, do, do many people pick the serial killer? I would like to, I, I'd like to think I would be the smart kind of serial killer, the one who would actually get away with it. Yeah. I'm going to go see. Fuck it, I'm going to be the serial killer. Same. Oh, my God. We'll be on the register together. We will be, and it's fine. But it's fictional, Claire. It's fictional. Fictional serial killer. PSA. Anything that I said in Would You Rather is not to be deemed true. Claire and Amanda cannot be held responsible for any of their responses during the game of Would You Rather. It is fictional, because this is fictional hangover. <laughs> ding dong. <laughs> there was a ding dong at the end. I really just needed to put a ding dong at the end. <laughs> If I had like a little xylophone thing, I would have bing bonged. 
<laughs> That's what made it for me was the ding dong at the end. You're welcome. <laughs> Can we move on to the next question? Would you rather have cell service or access to a car? And yes, you're being chased by a crazy cow cult. You are being chased by a crazy owl cult and all the aliens. I would rather have access to a car, a working, functioning car, because I can drive away and find another phone somewhere. I agree. Because if you've got a car, then you could drive to cell service. Yes, and if you've got a car, you can also plow into somebody who's chasing you and trying to kill you. I would fully be on board with that. Yes. There is not enough of uh, of that in the horror movie getaways. Vehicular manslaughter? Yes. <laughs> yes. We need more vehicular manslaughter in, murder, in, in, we, in horrors. We do. We do. We need more vehicular manslaughter. <laughs> is that how you're going to be a serial killer? Are you going to kill people with your vehicle? You did just get a brand new one. You got to break it in. Literally break it in. <laughs> it reminds me of that of, um, rubber. I love that movie. Oh, that so movie's stupid. so bad. Oh, if anybody has not seen the horror movie Rubber, where it's a serial killer tire, you need to watch it. You need it is to. Just you need brilliant. to. Definitely need to. <laughs> At least if you've got access to a car, you've got like a drive-through as well and get some like you know Mackey D's yeah. chips or yeah. coffee or something. Yeah. Do some banking if you're in America. Sure. I don't know. I don't running know. away from a serial killer yeah i don't know, yeah, I don't know why you need to go to the bank whilst running from a serial killer you but... might need to do a very important transfer otherwise you're going your overdraft or something i don't know you have to empty out your bank account because you've just done a vehicular manslaughter yes and now and you're you on the s- run you're on the run you need to stage your car like it's been stolen yes can't have any credit trail. No, Claire, I think we're going to get caught immediately if we become serial killers. No, no, we'll be much smarter about it. Because our plan is to tell everybody on the podcast, which is now on the internet. You're right. All of our plans. You're right. And we don't enact those plans. But You're people right. then use the podcast thinking that's how they're going to plan it. And then think, oh, these bitches be dumb. But we're not dumb bitches. Librarians. You're right. And now the world knows the truth. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> We need to stop getting this record. Edit that recording. out, me. Edit that out, you. <laughs> Would you rather hide from killers in a secret underground passageway or in the dark, dark woods? Assuming the killers don't know about the secret underground passageway, I'm going to hide there because every time people hide in movies... It's the breathing that always worries me. Like, especially at the moment, I've got a bit of a cough. So I've got like a, a bit of a, a, a Darth uh, Vader kind of rattling wheeze going on, which mm-hmm. is so sexy. Um, So like, I feel like at least in a secret underground passage, I could, you know, breathe normally. Whereas in the dark, dark woods, I feel like I'd be like trying to smuffle my mouth and so you can't hear me breathe. So. so you would sound even more like Darth Vader. Yes, and I might be able to at least, you know, walk around a little bit. I might have some movement, whereas in the dark, dark woods, I feel like I'd have to stay static. 
Yeah. And then in theory, in the secret underground passage, there might be a way of making the trap doors lockable from underneath mm-hmm. or barricaded. Mm-hmm. But that's on the assumption that the killers don't know that the secret underground passageway is there. So as right. the Lord and Master of my would you rather, sure. they don't. Okay. I feel like I would rather run deep into the dark, dark woods and like climb a tree and hang out pretty high up in a tree. Because if you're in a dark, dark woods, that means there's lots of trees around. And I don't know. I just think I would have less a chance of being like seen. Yeah, I think that's a good option as well. Yeah. And that's assuming that I I don't know if I would be able to actually physically climb a tree. I've got, like I've said before, I've got strength in my upper body, but not like own body weight kind of pull up. I can't do yeah. the climbing the ropes and things. But I you're the like, Lord and Master. You're the Lord and Master of your own, would you rather? It's true. But, you know, the Secret Underground Passage, it's fine. Did you know my Secret Underground Passage is also a, a, cl- a storage cupboard with provisions i have water oh. i have snacks nice. i have snacks nice yeah. i don't have snacks. batteries as yeah. well yeah i don't it's have a whole, any of like shelter things. really that's good yeah i don't have any of those things uh, well you can come if you if you if you if you but starts to go numb sitting on the branch just come down to the secret underground passage it's fine there's okay. a hatch near the the, the tree you're at okay i'll do it thanks last would you rather would you rather sacrifice a friend to resurrect your first love or sacrifice a handful of teenagers for untold wealth I'm sacrificing a handful of teenagers because it's my first love not my true love exactly that's a loophole and in my heart if I have untold wealth then I can have my first love back which is a giant freaking library and then i can bell around on the library ladders sure yes that's how i you know will bring back my first love okay okay <laughs> fine but you can buy shit mm. yeah also in your library is probably the necronomicon yes and secret passages with um snacks Yes. <laughs> okay, favourite final thought quote. I'm going to give you a few because it was quite a quotable book, actually. Yes. For being so short, basically yes. read the thing. There's lots of quotes in there. <laughs> I will miss you and I won't feel bad about it. I feel that I, that would happen. You're chasing me, I'm going to best, and I've got bear mace. I'm going to miss you in the face, I ain't going to cry. Uh, yeah. This next quote actually reminded me of a conversation that we had once. I would gladly debate anybody who got something to say about the masterpiece that is Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak is so good. It's dreadful, but it's good. It is so good. I did recently rewatch it, and I appreciated it more in the rewatch than I did the first time it's around. It's so good. But then it's got Tom Hiddleston in, and yeah. I mean... There's nothing bad to look at there. No. <laughs> it's delicious. Sorry, I've just gone to my happy place there. I know. I know. <laughs> Gone. 
let's bring Paige onto the into the into the mix. As soon as people start having sex, it's like a bat signal to the killer. He he is cheeks clapping, then he he comes with a knife to slice everybody up. <laughs> she just makes the 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 rules to horror just mm-hmm. perfection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something that we've all said at some point in our lives. None of this shit is in my job description. <laughs> Relatable. Uh, and I'm going to leave it there because otherwise I'm just going to end up reading the book to you and sure. that's like yeah. not legal. Yeah. What have you got? Uh, let's see. Jamie Lee is the ultimate final girl right behind Nev Campbell. Michael Myers can choke. <laughs> I see no lie. <laughs> <laughs> a little tetanus on the way to meet a shotgun wielding recluse. This was such a good idea, Charity. <laughs> okay, so not all of Charity's ideas were, you know, <laughs> golden. I've been playing the part of a girl who escapes a serial killer every night for months. It's not a game this time. The consequences are real, but we still have to play. Oh. Ooh. And finally, I'm going to drop the last word of this one. Much like I wish they had been dropped from the last word of the text. I can't wait to scare the shit out of people. (laughs) I love it. So good. Oh, but I also do like, oh, honey, you're going to die out here and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. Uh, Oh, honey. What a a a prophecy. Oh, honey. Okay. If you liked this, try this. What are you going to suggest? I'm going to suggest something that's on my radar that looks really good. Um, I've seen it in the shop. I picked it up. I think I took a picture and sent it to you. Um, I haven't read it yet. And it's Girls of Little Hope by Sam Beck-Bessinger and Dale Halvorsen. Summary is from Goodreads. A chilling and eerie tale of monsters, teen angst, and small-town America for fans of Stranger Things, The Thing, and the 90s. Three girls went into the woods. Only two come back, covered in blood, and with no memory of what happened. Oh, did they? Being 15 is tough. Tougher when you live in a boring-ass small town like Little Hope, California. Population 8,302 in 1996. Donna, Rhea and Kat keep each other sane with the fervour of teen girl friendships, zine making and some amateur sleuthing into the town's most enduring mysteries. A lost gold mine. And why little Ronnie Gaskins burned his parents alive a decade ago. Their hunt will lead them into a hidden cave from which only two of them return alive. Donna, the troublemaker, can't remember anything. Ray seems to be trying to escape her memories of what happened while her close-minded religious family presses her for answers. And Cat, sweet, wannabe writer Cat, who rebelled against her mum's beauty pageant dreams by getting fat? She's missing. Dead. Or terribly traumatised out there in the woods alone. As the police circle and Cat's frantic mother, Mary Beth, starts doing some investigating of her own, Rhea and Donna will have to return to the cave where they discover a secret so shattering that no one encounters it will ever be the same. Yeah. <gasps> Owl, monsters and aliens. 
That sounds really fun. It might not be our monsters and aliens, but it sounds really, really fun. And I, I kind of like the whole. There's a lot of stuff with the whole night. It's set in the nineties lately, which yes. feeds into what we were saying about nineties horror. Yes. Yep. Which I I am of an age where that's my bag. Yeah, love it. Love every single bit of it. Nice. What have you got? I am going to share one that I have also been interested in for some time. It's called I Feed Her to the Beast and the Beast is Me. Yes, this looks so good. I know. By Jameson Shea. Laurie Mesny is a perfectionist with an axe to grind. Despite being constantly overlooked in the elite and cutthroat world of the Parisian ballet, she will do anything to prove that a black girl can take center stage. To level the playing field, Laurie ventures deep into the depths of the catacombs and strikes a deal with a pulsating river of blood. Oh, Oh, that sounds so good. The primordial power Laura gains promises influence and adoration, everything she's dreamed of and worked toward. With retribution on her mind, she surpasses her bitter and privileged peers, leaving broken bodies behind her on her climb to stardom. But even as undeniable as she is, Laurie is not the only monster around, and her vicious desires make her a perfect target for slaughter. As she descends into madness and the mystifying underworld beneath her, she is faced with the ultimate choice. Continue to break herself for scraps of validation or succumb to the darkness that wants her exactly as she is. Monstrous heart and all. That is, if the god killer doesn't catch her first. (gasps) That sounds so good. I know, I know. Pulsating river of blood. Sold. 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 You should have just said that and left it there. I know. Done. Pulsating river of blood. <laughs> Done. Do we have a new indie spotlight this week? Yes, we do. We do. And actually, this one just came to us in an email a couple of days ago, and the book literally just came out a couple of days ago. It's amazing. It was perfect timing. It's called The Grimmer by Naben Ruthnam. And it sounds so good, and the cover looks beautiful, and just, I need it. After his father returns from treatment for addiction, high schooler Vish, lover of metal music and literature, is uncertain what the future holds. It doesn't help that everyone seems to know about the family's troubles, and they stand out doubly as one of the only brown families in town. When Vish is mistaken for a relative of the weird local bookseller and attacked by an unsettling pale man who seems to be decaying, he's pulled into the world of the occult, where witches live in television sets, undead creatures can burn with a touch, and magic is mathematical. Vish must work with the bookstore owner and his mysterious teenage employee, Gisela, to stop an interdimensional invasion that would destroy their peaceful town. It sounds so good. That sounds really, really good. Right? So excited to get it in the mail. It's amazing. That sounds really good. I know. We're so lucky when people email us things. They're like, hey... Um, does this sound like something you would like to discuss? Like, yes. yes. Yes, please. Thank you. Can we send you a copy? Yes. 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 
please feel yes. free to do so. Thank you so much. I'm easily bribed. <laughs> so cool. It's so cool. I'm very excited <laughs> to get that book mail. Cool. Okay. That is it Ooh. for this episode of Fictional Hangover, the very first one of season six. Dun, dun, dun. Bonkers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss Out of the Dawn by and with PC Cast. God, I love her so much. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise. And become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram, threads, TikTok and YouTube at Fictional Hangover. And find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictional hangover. If you like this episode, check out our others and be sure to rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>